Hi, this is Erin Olson of Sandal Feet Ministries. Thank you so much for stopping by my podcast today. If you'd like more information about my ministry, please visit www.sandalfeet.org. Thank you again for stopping by, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hi, this is Erin Olson. Thank you so much for joining me of week three of my Bible study, Forgiveness, Unforgiveness, Revealed Through Your Fruits. This week, we're going to talk about the fruit of joy and its counterfeit sadness. So let me open us up in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you so much for this time. Lord, I just pray that as we deal with the topic of joy as it relates to sadness, Lord, that you would do just a mighty work. Father, we know that there are hearts that are hurting, Lord, that are filled with sadness, Lord, that desperately want to be filled with joy. So, Father, I just pray that you just pour out your Holy Spirit upon each and every person listening to this podcast. Lord, I pray that eyes are open, hearts are open, hearts are softened. Lord, that pride is replaced with humility. Lord, I just pray that you do a mighty work this week, Lord, because we are a body of Christ longing to walk in the full fruit of joy. So, Father, I just ask that you bless this time together. I ask, Lord, that these be your words, not mine. We know that your word says that when your word is sent forth, it never returns void, and you want it to produce much fruit. So, Father, I am asking for that today, asking for my words to be anointed and blessed, Lord, that you would speak through me to each and every person listening. And Father, we just give you all the praise, honor, and glory, and it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, thank you so much again for joining me this week. This is a difficult week for me to deal with joy and sadness. Um, It's hard to talk to people about their level of joy and their level of sadness. It's really great to talk to somebody about their joy when they're on a high, you know, when, when they're experiencing a good thing in their life, when maybe they're having a birth of a baby, a healthy baby, when they're experiencing the marriage of with their fiance or maybe the marriage of a daughter or son. Um, maybe they're experiencing a great move, an exciting move, a move that they've anticipated that they're excited about. Um, those are joyful occasions in our life. But when we're talking about sadness and depression, sometimes it's hard. I, I kind of chuckle when I was thinking about sadness and joy. And my pastor this weekend started a new teaching series, sermon series on uh, the book of James. And in James 1-2, it says, count it all joy. Um so that it may overflow with joy. Count it all joy. And no matter what you're doing, no matter what trials you're going through, to count it all joy. And even he, as a pastor, said, you know, he has to make a lot of hospital visits and he walks into a room and he has a hard time telling someone who may have just received a cancer diagnosis, count it all joy. And so it's hard. It's hard to say those words, to be joyful in all things. But it is a fruit of the Spirit. We can't make it up. It's what God wants for us. It is a it is what the Holy Spirit represents. In Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, patience, peace, kindness. So um, joy is what we should be searching for. And what is joy? What does it mean? And part of our problem is, is that sometimes in this world, in our vernacular, we think of joy as being the same thing as happiness. And it's not. So happiness is an emotion that's dependent upon our circumstances occurring in accordance with our desires. The whole slogan of be happy, um, 
you know, I want to be happy. I'm, I'm long, looking for happiness. We tend to feed the, the person of self in, in looking for our happiness. And so happiness is very self-centered, whereas joy is an emotion that occurs within us when we develop an appreciation or thankfulness for the constants of life through having a faith in, through having faith in something larger than ourselves. So joy is an emotion that occurs when we develop an appreciation, when we're thankful. And specifically as believers in Christ, joy comes as an emotion that occurs deep within us as a, as a fruit of the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Holy Spirit residing within us, as we begin to appreciate and be thankful for all of the things that God has done throughout history for mankind, in addition to what he has done in the lives um, of those we love, in our own lives, um, in the things that are going on around us. So that's where that comes from. That joy is an emotion that is, is not about us. Joy is not about us. It's about God. And I love this definition of joy. Uh, it's a, um, an acronym. J stands for Jesus. O stands for others. And Y stands for you, self. So if we're talking about the word joy, Jesus, God, always comes first. Others come next, and then ourselves should come last. We need to think of ourselves as being last. It's not about us. It's about God, all about God. And that's where our joy comes from. If we continue to think that our sadness is reflective upon um, anything we are doing or not doing, um, I mean, our happiness is reflective upon that, then we're missing the point. And perhaps that's why we're in a state of sadness or having some struggles with some relationships. So joy is a decision, just as sadness is a decision. We can choose to discover how we can be joyful, or we can choose to remain sad. If you don't want to venture out and say, you know, give it all to the God and, and say, Lord, show me why I'm sad. Open up those doors for me. Open up the window to my soul so I can, for myself, see why I'm sad. What's, what's causing me to stumble? Um, so today, just for a few minutes, I'm going to focus a little bit on the passage found in Isaiah 55. Two of the prominent themes running through this chapter in the Old Testament um, of these prophecies of comfort are forgiveness and joy. Verse 7 is clear about the fact that everyone must turn to the Lord and he will have mercy upon them and forgive them generously. His forgiveness of sin is foundational to the good news of redemption. So if we're looking at that verse and we're reading it, and discerning what it says, it says specifically, Scripture says, let, let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to God, our God, for he will forgive generously. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It's a little bit um, easier to understand in today's language uh, for those who may not be as familiar with the Bible. Um, and I like to hear, I like to read that translation oftentimes, uh, in addition to the English Standard Version, only because there's some words in there that really pop. They make it colorful. They make it exciting. They make me understand a little bit better um, the simplicity of the Bible when we don't try to muck it up. When the words are too fancy, it becomes a stumbling block for me. And so I like to look at it in those words. And then I often go back and look at uh, different tools. There's one that's a free tool on online, blueletterbible.org. You can go on there, punch in a scripture, and it will bring up a concordance. It'll bring up a dictionary. It brings up all kinds of references. And so you can search 
the meaning of the original word, how it relates, when it's used otherwise. And so I love just the language, the different words and the different translations, because it helps me sometimes understand a passage better when I can see other words that might be used um, that resonate with me. Not that they're incorrect, um, lost in translation, if you will, but that it's just more easily comprehensible to me. And I want to be able to learn the Bible. I want to be able to understand the Bible if I just read the Bible and yet I don't know what it says because I'm just blowing through it because I don't want to take the time to learn the language. It does me no good. Um, and I have struggled with that um, as a youngster when I was in my teen years. I couldn't understand my Bible. The language was too complicated. So I just gave up, put it back in a box. And I don't want to ever put that back in a box. So. I challenge you to do that, uh, just some word studies. But as we look at this chapter in Isaiah 55 specifically, we're witnessing God talking to his people as they're getting ready to be led out of exile. While we could assume that most should be excited because they're being led out of slavery or out of bondage, that feeling of excitement is momentary if one of them is not careful to know the source of the joy that is being offered. The prophet is telling the people to forget the past, leave their slavery and accept what is to come. And they, so they needed to make a choice. They needed to choose joy over their release and whatever God had, had in store for them. Or they could choose sadness because they are about to be released. And maybe they're mad about being that the fact that they were held in bondage. Maybe they're afraid of what is to come. And maybe they're even sad about leaving what is comfortable, even as uncomfortable it might have been to be a slave. They don't know what's going to happen when they get out of exile again, the, un, the fear of the unknown. And so verse 11 says, it is the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. God's in the business of whatever he's sending out to be purposeful and good. He wants us to bear good fruit in all seasons, no matter what our circumstances look like, because he is the center at, a, at the center of our joy. And I often think about a joy as it relates to sadness as well. When I'm um, thinking about King David and when he was running from Saul and that whole complex issue when Saul was angry with him and, and David at first was sent uh, to help King Saul through his tormenting um, dreams that he had that he would get. And then David was sent to play music and those would calm him and, and then... Uh, and then David, you know, was going to become king and Saul became angry and Saul became jealous. Saul, all of these things. And Saul was chasing David, chasing David and David was running. And the book of this book of Psalms is just tremendous in the fact that here is a man who is completely in despair, you know, running for his life, physically running for his life. And he even still he is able to thank God. He's able to praise God. He's able to pray for other people that they would come to know God in the same way, that they would be thankful for their circumstances, that they would fear him, that they would turn to him. His enemies would turn to him. Um, and so he was just completely, he was able to find joy in all of those circumstances, even when his some of his um, difficulties looked really bad. And so when we forget who God created us to be, we feel very unhappy. So my question would be, how unhappy are you right now? There's a quote that I give in my book by a psychologist 
Dr. Fred Luskin, he's a PhD health psychologist at Stanford University, and he says this, not forgiving, nursing a grudge is so caustic, it raises your blood pressure, depletes your immune function, makes you more depressed, and causes enormous physical stress to the whole body. And I said in the book, I would also add that it completely robs you of joy. So there's actual physical ailments that come from not being able to forgive. And one of them clearly is depression. There's another statistic that I give at the beginning of the chapter that says that according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, um, major depression is the leading cause of disability for Americans between the ages of 15 and 44. And about 9% of adult Americans have feelings of hopelessness, despondency, and or guilt that generate a diagnosis of depression. Um, and that's just not good, right? I mean, 9%, I would say that, the, that it's much higher, that percentage, because maybe I don't think a lot of people actually get treated for it. They're not seeking help. Um, and so it's not going to be able to be recorded. But, but that's a big number if we think about total population of America and how many people are walking around just completely sad and depressed, clinically depressed. And then, and then there's still others that it can sneak up on us. And so when we talk about, when we forget who God created us to be, we feel very unhappy. And, and part of that unhappiness, if you will, that sadness comes from the fact that we sometimes lose perspective of God's presence in the midst of conflict. David said in Psalm 32, 1, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight, which is also another word for covered covered by the grace of God. In Psalm 32, 3, he goes on further to say, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. It resulted in darkness, depression, denial. He was refusing to confess his sin. And so his body became sad. His body became depressed. He slipped into the pit of darkness. And later on in, in Psalm 32, 7, when he comes back to that, and says that when we remember that God is with us in the midst of that conflict, that we remember who our identity is in, he says in verse 7, For you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. And verse 8 says that the Lord will guide us along our paths, advise us, and watch over us. And in verse 10, it says, Many sorrows come to the wicked. The word wicked there are are those who are walking outside of relationship with Jesus Christ at that time, outside of relationship with God. Um, but because it says, oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, that we are called to be obedient to the Lord. And, and as a result of our obedience, as a result of the faith that we place in Jesus Christ, which in and of itself is an act of obedience to the Lord, um, by committing our lives to Christ, by surrendering our lives, we do that through faith, by faith, um, it's a gift from God, um, but it's an act of obedience. It's one of our first acts of obedience as a believer. And so um, what joy we get. Oftentimes when new believers or new baby Christians, they are so full of joy because they know where they came from. They know whose they are. They know where they were headed and now the path that they're on. So they're filled with this extreme sense of joy, giddiness, childlikeness almost, no matter what age they are. And, um, 
However, in verse 10 in Psalm 32, many sorrows come to the wicked, many sorrows, sorrowful things, much sadness, much despair comes to the wicked. And time and time again throughout the Psalms, we see the word joy relating to the godly. It never meant that the godly people were perfect, but it did mean that these people have God, had God in the perfect or correct place. They feared him. They obeyed him. They respected him. They sought him. Um, And he was at the center of their lives despite their circumstances. And for that reason alone, they can find joy and shout for joy in their circumstances. Psalm Psalm 68 verse 6 said, God sets the prisoners free and gives them joy. It's God who sets us free. It's God who forgives us and sets us free. In Psalm 92 4, it says, I sing for joy because of what you have done. Sometimes I think about it because I think about as long as we fail to acknowledge our guilt, we cannot experience the joy of being forgiven and set free. That joy cannot be ours until we first speak. And if we do begin to speak, we will find ourselves completely covered in God's love. Just as the prodigal son in the Gospels could barely get a few words out before his father wrapped him in his loving warm arms and forgave everything. God invites us to experience a share in this joy whenever a brother or sister asks us for forgiveness. So a lot of the Psalms, David is talking directly to God. You know, I sing for joy because of what you have done. God sets the prisoners free and gives them joy. His eyes, his focus, his heart, right? David was a man after God's own heart. So his heart was always focused on God. He didn't lay all this up, but but Saul did this to me, but this happened to me, but this happened to me. There was moments when he did do that, yes, but... For the most part, as you read throughout the Psalms and David just shouting for joy and giving thanksgiving and giving praise and, and even interceding on behalf of others, that he was in a direct relationship with God. Everything that was affecting him, everything that was bothering him, he turned it all back to God. He knew that without God, nothing was going to change. He knew that without God, he could not defeat his enemies. He knew without God, he would not have joy. And so through that all, he was battling to keep that joy. And sometimes that is through our acts of forgiveness. So my question today would be, what if you feel and thought you have forgiven someone, yet you have some sort of resentment you can't seem to figure out or let go? So how can that res- how can you handle that residual sadness and anger that come up even after you feel like you've truly forgiven someone? So sometimes there are a few different reasons why we might have leftover resentment or sadness even after we think we've forgiven someone. Um, there's you know many cases where where this happens in real life, and so we might think maybe we've only forgiven them from our heads as a decision, like I'm going to forgive that person. Um, I've decided to forgive that person rather than from our hearts, a spiritual understanding of why we need to forgive that person. What does it look like and and why do I need to do that from a spiritual perspective? How is that cleansing my heart and how is that allowing, allowing me to allow God to work, to do a work on my heart or work on that person's heart instead of it just being a decision where like when we tell our children, okay, go when we're f- first t- teaching them about forgiveness and we go up to them and say, okay, go forgive your sister for stealing her Cracker Jacks and say, say, please forgive me. 
okay, I accept your forgiveness, that kind of a thing. That is a head thing because you know that little three-year-old toddler doesn't necessarily want to go extend forgiveness, completely understand forgiveness. We're modeling that for them to understand, but we have to be careful of that because sometimes even as adults, we tell people that they need to forgive somebody and we kind of guilt them into it. So that becomes a head thing as opposed to a spiritual heart thing. And so if that's the case, if we've only forgiven them in our head and not our heart, it could still come back up to hurt that relationship. Another reason might be that we have not completely identified exactly what needs to be forgiven or what keeps happening that we weren't aware of when we forgave originally. Um, Sometimes there's collateral damage. So if somebody does something to us, maybe says a bad word against us, we can initially forgive that person. We can say, you know what, I forgive you for saying that unkind word about me. you know, I, I'm okay with that. I'm, I, I don't like that it happened, but I'm going to forgive you for that. And, but, but what happens if, say, for instance, five people heard, also heard what that person said about you, and those five people go and say something else. And then, then next thing you know, there's 25 people and, and the story has changed. And so there's collateral damage. So sometimes we have to think about, okay, I, I initially forgave that person but now I'm bitter again 12 months later, but it's resulting from that original act against me, but it's, it, but it's other things that subsequently happen. So now I have to think about, do I need to go and forgive those five people who opened up their mouths? You know, how deep does my forgiveness have to go? And, and why do I have to keep forgiving? So sometimes you get sad about that. It's like, good golly, I forgave that person. Things should be good. I should be joyful. But yet I'm still sad because I still can't fix my reputation. And so sometimes you become resentful again of the person who you originally forgave and, and you need to work through that. Um, another common reason for resentment is that we are not fully healed from the damage done and the pain is ongoing. I mean, some things are just take longer to heal. Sometimes when you have surgeries, some surgeries have a four-day recovery and some have a two-year recovery. So sometimes the depth of, our da- the, depth of the damage takes a while. Um, And so we can still be sad as we experience that. Yet we have to battle through that sadness to find joy in the circumstance. We have to find joy and say, maybe, Lord, this hurts. My heart is hurting. My heart's being ripped apart for whatever it was that was done against me. Or maybe even the damage that I've caused against somebody else. You know, there can be sadness that way too. And and yet, Lord, I need to find joy in this because I know that you haven't left me or forsaken me in this circumstance. So, Lord, you can give me the joy and help me battle my sadness and help me thank you for this opportunity to grow. Help me thank you, Lord, for being able to draw closer to you. Help me, Lord, to thank you for this trial. Um, help me, Lord, thank you for this test. How am I going to react? Lord, are you testing me to see um, my spiritual heart temperature? You know, there's lots of different things. So you need to pray through these things as well. Sometimes you could also be experiencing triggered memories associated with an offense. Um, sometimes there's things that happen to us. Uh, for instance, as an adult, maybe someone is talking to you in a tone that you don't quite like, and you don't know exactly why you like it, don't like it. But maybe a week later, you you realize, oh, I know why I don't like the way that person is talking to me in that tone or uh, with those words, because maybe it was the way in which your parent or your grandparent or somebody continuously hurt you when you were a child with those words. And 
unbeknownst to the person who's offending you, who they didn't know they were offending you because of the way they were talking, it may not even be in a mean way, but just in a way that triggered a memory that all of a sudden these uh, these resentments or these uh, suppressed memories might come to case and you might have to work through, okay, I need to forgive that person because now all of a sudden I'm sad and I don't know why I'm sad and I'm dealing with all of this. And it's a continual process where as we walk and take a step every day, there's, you know, we kind of walk around a landmine and we need to make sure that we are walking in the fullness of the spirit because if we're walking in the fullness of the spirit, we are so close to God, that we are so in harmony with with him and his ways, that he can reveal these things to us because sometimes he's dredging these things out of us because he wants to fully cleanse us because he knows what's about to happen. He knows what's about to come next. And he knows that if you're not fully, um, fully stable, that you're not fully emotionally healed, that that when you get to that next level, it could be even more difficult. And he wants to make sure that you are shored up, that he has given you the strength, that he is giving you um, the help that you need to be fully who he has created you to be. Um, and then where's the place of the Holy Spirit in forgiveness and joy? I mean, the Holy Spirit is fully involved in forgiveness and joy without ever, us ever even realizing it half the time. Um, the Holy Spirit never draws attention to himself when helping those of us who are not aware of God's activity on a regular basis. But what the Holy Spirit does provide is the peace. And we'll talk about peace in a future week. Um, the vision of the, who the other person is. We talked about this a little bit last week. If you did your study guide that talked about love and, and how when somebody hurts you, how do you see that person? And then in the next question was, how do you think God sees that person at that time that they're causing that offense? And so um, we see who that other person is. And then the Holy Spirit also gives us understanding of who we really are created to become. Um. So we need to make sure that we are fully aware of who God is, who he created us to be, because if we have those things, we remain joyful. Um, it's not because of, of our happiness, but it's because of him. It's because of the Holy Spirit that he gave to us as a result of his son dying on the cross and returning back to heaven when Jesus said, I leave so somebody else will come. I must leave so somebody else will come, that that Holy Spirit is available to us. And as a result of that Holy Spirit being available to us, we have joy that is available to us as well. So, so God never wants us to walk in sadness and anger. He never wants us to walk in an, a for, state of unforgiveness. If we're washed in the blood of Jesus, we are fully forgiven. Um, nothing can take that away from us. But even as fully forgiven believers, we can still potentially walk in sadness and despair and and God doesn't really want that for us because joy is one of those things that um that really can affect our witness our christian witness if love for sure if we're not loving others as God would love us as God would love all unconditionally that's a, that's a hiccup in our christian witness if we're not joyful um that's a hiccup in our christian witness if we're walking around sad and and resentful and depressed and people who aren't yet believers or people who are struggling with their faith, they're going to have a hard time reconciling that. If you tell me that God is love and, and the fruit of the spirit is love and joy, and yet here you are, whom I believed to be a solid Christian, not fully walking in joy in all circumstances, consider it all joy. And um, in all circumstances, no matter what the circumstances are, 
uh, it's going to be a stumbling block for somebody. And God never wants us to be a stumbling block for our brothers and sisters and clearly for the unbelieving world because we are called to be witnesses. We're called to be salt and light. And, um, and so if we are doing that, our joy should radiate from within us. And um, that would be my challenge for you this week. My challenge would be for you to work through the study guide. And there's some questions and some answers in there that are going to walk through, you know, where do you feel like what makes you joyful? What makes you what makes you sad? Do you truly feel like you're blessed as it relates to the uh, biblical definition of blessed? And and as we work through that, you know, I understand we've all been hurt. You've been hurt. I've been hurt. Um, but we need to not allow that hurt to continue to harm us. We need to allow that not to, to drag us down and not allow us to be sad, but instead be joyful in the Lord and count it all joy and let him be the center of our joy because he is in total control. So thank you so much for listening this week, and I will close us in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just know that, um, that this word just needs to be heard by so many people. Lord, I don't know if I spoke it eloquently enough. Lord, but I pray that even as this is recorded, Lord, that your word would be heard through it. Lord, that however it needs to be heard by someone who's hurting, Lord, that you would make it completely evident. Father, I pray that my brothers and sisters walk in complete fullness of joy. Lord, I pray that we can stand on the mountain and say, count it all joy. I'm counting it all, all joy, even in times of trouble, times of sadness. Lord, I pray that we rise above, we rise above the hurt, we rise above the sadness. Lord, because you are our strength, you are our hope, you are our comforter, and you are the great I am. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.